the Gridiron College Football Show. I'm Simon Clancy, along with Matthew Sherry, looking back at an exciting and interesting weekend of college football. We are, Matt, we seem to be lacking a little bit of drama in the big games. I know it's early in the season, but the biggest games haven't quite come to the party yet, have they? Notre Dame against Georgia at the weekend felt a bit of a flag fest. Georgia, you know, won more comfortably than the score would suggest. We're kind of lacking a bit of a, you know, a real kind of oomph game, aren't we? And I know, like I said, they don't always come at this point. But when you watch Clemson and Alabama cupcake their way through the early portion of the season, it does sort of take away a little bit from what we love so much about college football, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think generally, I mean, you were at the Clemson-Texas A&M game. You know, that in week two was was really the only game that we were looking at as being a, a potential defining game for Clemson and they came through that so comfortably that now you're left to you're left to wonder if we ever see certainly for Clemson I don't think we'll see a game all season until the playoff will we so yeah I think that is a disappointment I think it speaks to the the overall strength of the best teams and I'm not sure it's ever been and I would potentially put a couple of teams in the mix now with Clemson and Alabama for this season but I'm not sure it has ever been I'm not sure college football has ever been so top-heavy in terms of how good the top teams are in relation to the teams below them. And I think that's why we see that, because it's going to be so rare that we ultimately get one of the top four or five teams against each other. We have had a number of very good games away from the top teams, though, which has kept obviously kept college football very exciting. And let's start with USC against Washington State, which was... One of the greatest comebacks, if not the greatest comeback of all time in the history of college football. UCLA trailed 49, that's not a typo, 4-9-17 in the third quarter. Ended up winning it 67-63. It was just an astonishing... And Washington State's quarterback threw nine touchdowns. It was an extraordinary game, wasn't it? It was, and I think a game that we, we might look back upon as the as the definitive turning point of the of the Chip Kelly era. We're about to talk later on about a, a big game, a big name, sorry, coach, who's who's got major problems now. It felt like we were heading that way with, with Chip Kelly, but you know, what we saw in this game was was everything that I, I guess we, we expect from a Chip Kelly offence, certainly in the second half and during this comeback, which is He's not running the same offense as Oregon anymore. It's a, it's a lot more based on the ground, and they're doing some really creative stuff with with the running game that is, I guess, too complicated to get out into on a podcast. But we saw a culmination of that with the running game, but also the performance of, of Dorian Thompson Robinson, who is a very raw second year quarterback, and it, it's easy to forget that the the UCLA situation Kelly inherited was a, was a disaster. I mean, last season they started more true freshmen than I think any team in in college football. And I think because of what Chip had done with minimal talent previously, we thought it would be a quick process at UCLA, and it, it hasn't worked out like that. But I think we saw flashes in this comeback as we did at the end of last season that you know Chip Kelly can still coach a little bit and. You know, as the talent level improves, then there's the potential for for UCLA to do something. But more than that, I thought this game was was an exemplification of why we love college football because it is outrageously unpredictable. You know, the fact that the the clock stoppages after after first downs mean that you do get more of these great high scoring games and comebacks. And and yeah, this was a, an, an absolute all timer. 
ironically enough, the game actually came down to a pair of defensive stands, really, didn't it, that proved the difference? UCLA forcing those two turnovers in the last sort of two, two and a half minutes of the game. Uh, DTR, Thompson Robinson, Dorian Thompson Robinson was 25 or 38 for 507 yards and only five touchdowns. Anthony Gordon, who had uh, nine. Could, do you know off the top of your head the, uh, who threw the most touchdowns in a college football game? I wouldn't have a clue. I mean, I would have thought Anthony Gordon would have been close with nine, but um, I guess there's been one crazy quadruple overtime game that maybe beat it. Was a first-round draft pick of the Cincinnati Bengals in 1991? Um, I was going to say Bound, but he came a lot. A lot. Um, no, it would have. So it would have been the quarterback after Boomer Esiason. Um Well, Asiason was in the Super Bowl in. 1989, yeah. No, you're right then. David Klingler. Oh, freaking hell. I've got to that name out. There you go. 11, 11 touchdowns in one single game uh, against Eastern Washington, I think. Um, let me just check. Uh, yes, against Eastern Washington at the Astrodome. There you go. So, ended up as a, as a Heisman finalist, lost to Ty Detmer. Um, in the Heisman there you go um, I assume I assume this is the most I'm a losing team I would imagine so I would imagine so um, let's move away from ultimately teams that aren't going to represent when it comes to the uh, playoff at the end of the season or even threaten the top 10 uh, neither of which are going to do that so let's look at LSU because there certainly seems to be a move towards the uh, towards the Tigers as possibly the strongest team in the nation. They won't jump to number one uh, all the time that Clemson and Alabama continue to stay unbeaten. But that November the 9th matchup against the Crimson Tide now looks to be the tastiest fixture in all of college football this season because the, the Tigers are playing superb football on both sides of the ball, led by a completely revitalised Joe Burrow. Yeah, and... and I mean, what are your thoughts on Burrow's side? Because, you know, he was a guy who I guess we both thought... I mean, I, I, I liked him last year a little bit more than you did, but I didn't see this coming, and I know you certainly didn't. I mean, it's been astonishing, hasn't it? It's been incredible. I mean, he looks like a totally different quarterback. He looks like a top-20 draft pick at the moment. He's got the swagger to his game. He's got touch. He's got accuracy. He threw a beautiful back-shoulder touchdown um, at the weekend uh, against Vandy. Uh, it was just a great throw. Um, I, you know, if he continues this improvement, I mean, he, I, I would suspect that um, along with Jalen Hurts uh, and maybe Tua he's, and Jonathan Taylor, they're probably the top four in the Heisman. I think he's probably a top three, top two Heisman uh, candidate at the moment. Uh, and he's playing fantastic football. Uh, you know, he, he went on the road at Texas, beat the Longhorns, had a terrific game, and he's just backed that up every single step, not not thrown an interception yet this season. He's big, he's tall, he, he, he looks like a leader, he's got real moxie, uh, and he can make all the throws. If he carries you know, if he carries on to develop the way he has been developing, then I think we're looking at a first round quarterback. The the change from this time last year has been dramatic because for for, for me last year he was a little bit more than just a guy. I mean, he made a couple of big throws, especially against Auburn, um, the back end of last season. But overall, you would not have looked at Joe Burrow as a as a high-end NFL quarterback in terms of draft position. And, and I think that's what we're looking at currently. What's it to, to you about the 
the, the speed with which some of these quarterbacks are analysed in college particularly. You know, Joe Burrow, I'm pretty sure he was a five-star kid when he was at Ohio State and then, you know, gets beat out by Dwayne Haskins, transfers, seen as only a game manager in that in that LSU offence last year. But does this kind of show that the patience that's required with some of these guys? Because, you know, the talent was there when he was a five-star recruit for Ohio State that were that we're seeing now, but perhaps teams and, and, and fan bases give up on these guys a little bit too quickly. I think the way that we analyse quarterbacks at every level is wrong, actually. You know, because you only have to look at how many players slip through the net in terms of... Look at Gardner Minshew, for example. Look I mean, at Kyle Allen. Look at Kyle Allen, exactly. You know, Kyle Allen had a world of talent, but slipped through the net. Look at Gardner Minshew, you know wasn't recruited by any of the teams, wasn't recruited by Old Miss, wasn't recruited by Mississippi State, Eastern Mississippi, any of those teams just completely ignored him. He fell through the cracks. He had no Division One offers. You know, he ended up at East Carolina for a couple of years, was a center, ended up at Troy, was going to, you know, essentially hold a clipboard and, and be the backup to Tua Tungavailoa this year, uh, having been a graduate assistant last year for Nick Saban because of his because of uh, the the transfer rules. Mike Leach phones him up and says, you know, do you want to be a clipboard holder at Tuscaloosa or do you want to come and be lead the nation in passing? And there he was, did exactly that, and is now in the first three weeks of the season, you know, having a spectacular start to his NFL career. I just think the way that we do it with quarterbacks, especially you know, developmentally, is wrong. You know, the way that quarterbacks develop mentally, the way they process things, but also physically. You know, arm strength can grow. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't take much that much for for a guy's arm. You know, if you you're not going to go from you know a noodle arm quarterback into Randall Cunningham. You're not going to, you know, that's not going to happen overnight. But you can certainly increase velocity. You can increase the, the way that the ball comes out. But just the way that you process the game is the most important thing. And I think that's what you're seeing in Joe Burrow. You, you hear it all the time. The game is slowing down. Uh, and the game is, is slowed down for him. But I just think we have to do a better job across the board in how we... Because, we, you know, scouts, people like that are, are missing out too often... On, on quarterbacks who go on to develop into top-level players. And it just happens over and over and over again. And, and even not the top-level guys. Like, no undrafted quarterback should ever really be capable of winning an NFL game. Do you know what I mean? You, you, should, never have, you should never have a guy who, like Kyle Allen, who throws four touchdown passes in, in, in a victory on a Sunday, ever go undrafted. I mean, when, when you, you think, think about, about the amount of quarterbacks taken every single year in the draft and... And I guess it shows the importance as well of of getting you know these young quarterbacks from high school getting in the right system because how often do we see that these guys you know as you say with Minshew he's going to slip through the, the cracks Kyle Allen had some very very apparent problems during his career in terms of the the, the colleges he was at and the way he was used there you know Jared Stidham made the Patriots roster having having had a, a a dreadful time at Auburn, really, based on on kind of the talent level. So I guess it's important as well for these guys to to choose the right programs to emphasise the skills too. Absolutely, and look, you look in the NFL and the way that we we draft quarterbacks. You know, Carson Wentz. Let's just take him as an example. You know, huge success, but the you know there was a lot of question marks. 
in part because of the, the system that he'd run, in part obviously because he played at North Dakota State. You know, Cleveland essentially passed on on Carson Wentz so that they could take Baker Mayfield. Uh, I mean, th- that's not how it played out because I don't think anybody saw Mayfield coming, as it were. But I think that's ultimately what, what happened. They took Miles Garrett and, you know... Um, but you look at even Bill Belichick and, uh, you know, there's that famous quote from Scott Pioli where he talks about, you know, if we were smart about drafting Tom Brady, we wouldn't have skipped him for the first five rounds. But, you know, famously, Belichick went back and forth between picking Brady or Tim Rattay during the 2000 draft. So it is a completely, you know, it, it, it's just so hit and miss. Harry Roseman, who's one of the better GMs in the NFL, traded up to get Wentz. But then he also handed $12 million in guaranteed money to Chase Daniel, who threw one pass in an Eagles uniform. Uh, so, yeah. you know, you, I know Nick Foles then com, comes in and, uh, and makes Roseman look better, but it, it, it's just a very odd way. I just don't know that we understand how we evaluate quarterback. And I think history has shown that even the best, look at Ozzie Newsom, who retired last year. You know, Ozzie Newsom selected Carl Bowler to be the replacement for... For Joe Flacco, how did that how did that work out? I mean, it, it it didn't. So why is it so difficult? You know, and I don't yeah, know if there's I, an answer I, for that. And I guess it's difficult as well because the the, the way in which we analyse these quarterbacks actually in the league is is so predicated on the system they're in. I mean, somebody pointed out when I tweeted about Russell Wilson and Brian Schottenheimer last night. Imagine Russell Wilson in Kansas City's offense. Oh. Well, Russell Wilson in Kansas City's offense is Pat Mahomes, isn't yeah. it? You know, there's not really. Any drop-off there, we think of Mahomes as a generational talent. And Wilson, for me, is every bit as good in, in basically every facet of the game as Mahomes is. But Mahomes has landed with probably the best offensive mind in football. And Wilson has had probably the worst over a sustained period of his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, Daryl Bevel and Brian Schottenheimer. And then, you know, I watched Jared Goff last night again. And I've had reservations about him basically from the start. And I, they've just paid him. And I look at Jared Goff still and I think... I'm not sure that at the point when the Rams can't surround him with the, the right talent, which they have been able to because of his rookie deal, that Jared Goff is ever going to be a player who with it, you know, will be the reason you win games. And I just don't see it. And, mm. and yet you speak to most people and they'll probably tell you Goff's one of the best young quarterbacks in football. I guess I, it's an interesting debate, isn't it? Mm. I, th- I think schematics plays a huge part in it as well you know you, you get players who are drafted because of their tools they don't necessarily end up in the schemes that play to their strengths you want to have a, a general manager and a coach and a quarterback who are essentially tied on the same page so that schematically it fits exactly what the quarterback does best and you think that'd be a given but actually it's not at all um, but you know you look at you look at the Bears taking Mitchell Trubisky and not taking you know Passing up the guys Mahomes. that, yeah, Patrick Mahomes, the guys that they passed up. Watson, in that I mean, draft. that's going to be, yeah. be regret for years to come with those two. Oh, that's insane. Absolutely. And ultimately, I think it will probably cost people within the Bears organization their jobs because of, because of the, that, uh, of that decision. Anyway, we digress, but it's a fantastic debate. We might do something in the next magazine yeah, on this whole debate. Absolutely. How good are LSU? Uh, I think they're brilliant. I mean, I really do. They, you know, I've watched LSU for, for bordering on 10 years now, and, and barring bizarrely one run when Cam Cameron was the OC and, and Zach Mettenberger looked good for six months, the question always is, 
I mean, what happens if LSU ever has a quarterback? And they do have one. They have a, you know, a, a dynamic, dynamic young running back who they've barely had to, to, to really use yet because Burrow's carried the offense so much. The the defense is, is always going to be really good. You know, the, the Grant Delpit led mm. led unit. I mean, it's I, I think they're really good. I actually think LSU and Auburn are, are really good. I mean, Auburn are, are the classic year in year out team. The great one year, terrible the next. But we we were on schedule for this to be the year, and I, and I think they've started really impressively as well. I I think the SEC is, you know, it's top heavy. I think there's four brilliant teams in the SEC. But unlike previous years, because I think Alabama, particularly on defense, are a little bit further away from where they usually are, I think potentially it might be the closest SEC I've, I've seen in a number of years. We Danes are a modest bunch. We enjoy simple pleasures. As such, we tend not to blow our own trumpets. But since Carlsberg Export has a refined, full-bodied and rather satisfying taste, perhaps just this once too much probably Carlsberg export probably the most modest beer in the world enjoy responsibly drink aware the code that UK for the facts Hazel Irvin here and I'm at Mammoth Insurance in Leeds where Kate has arranged an office chair race to fundraise for sport relief and these riders have got their kit on they are rearing to go and they're off Taking an early lead and smashing injustice right out of the park, it's Daphne from Accounting, riding the spreadsheet demon chair. Up comes Nina from HR on Beat Me and You're Fired, closely followed by Mark from Marketing on the 9 to 5 chair. Even Javid from Health and Safety's at it, weaving his clipboard like crazy. Go easy there, Javid. We don't want any injuries, fella. And from nowhere, it's Jenny on El Chero Loco, rolling right over poverty to cross the line first. And the crowd goes loco. Unbelievable. You can help change the world too. Just get your exclusive Sport Relief merchandise at Janeiro's Sainsbury's. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. Do you think it's the end of the line for Jim Harbour? Another fabulously disappointing defeat at the weekend, this time at the hands of Wisconsin. And it's not just... It's not just the defeats, is it? It's the manner yeah. of defeats. I mean, the Badgers were up 35 nothing at one point. You know, Jonathan Taylor just ran all over, all over Michigan. The, the, there is still lacking from the Jim Harbaugh CV a signature victory in yep. his tenure and all of a sudden the unthinkable seems like the very very likely I mean I just don't know how he can survive I mean I don't think he goes because I think he's got too much cash in the building from his playing days and everything else um, and if you wanted to look at it from a purely optimistic standpoint you would say that his overall record is still is still very good but the reality is it isn't because he is one of the highest paid coaches in college football and Ohio State have moved on to a new head coach and in my opinion got better. I mean, I think Ohio State look better this year than they have the last two under Urban Meyer. And I mean, this has been a disastrous season for Michigan so far and it could be worse. I mean, they were very lucky to beat Navy. They weren't great in the opening game. And and the problem is that it's not defeats, it's debacles every time they lose these games. You know, 
in Harbaugh's first couple of years, they were very, very unlucky. Um, they were robbed against Ohio State in one game on a fourth down spot that was ridiculous. And you thought that ultimately this is going to be a good tenure. All the signs were there. The last two years have just been, you know, promise followed by disaster in the biggest moments. And this is kind of Don Brown's defence as well. I mean, it's not just Harbaugh, you know. Don Brown's defence is great 99% of every season, but there is always one game against a good team where they get picked apart. And the problem with these losses is that Michigan have been outcoached in them, and that's the issue for Harbaugh for me. You know, it's not that you lose games, it's that you were completely outcoached and, and, and undressed on national TV. I mean, this was this was dreadful. This was a this was probably the worst one yet. And, you know, there are always moments in games where things turn and it, it goes on down a down a hill quickly and that happened in this game you know there was a bad catch overturned that, that would have made it 7-7 but you know you can't keep making excuses for Harbaugh it's just it's not good enough and they always look so discombobulated in these games they, they, they had two weeks to prepare for this one and you'd have thought they'd had two days it was it was a disaster I mean the, the move to Josh Gattis that I was certainly excited about in the offense has been disastrous. It's not worked in any way, shape or form. There's not a Michigan player who actually knows looks like they know what they're doing on offense. And, you know, as exciting as that was at the time because of how terrible and archaic Pep Hamilton was, now you actually look at it and think, well, Josh Gattis is a guy who, yes, he was at Alabama. Yes, he had a good track record. He'd never been in OC before. Harbaugh is seeming to give him free reign to do what he wants, which is a risk in itself. Nick Saban didn't deem him, didn't deem it necessary to make him his OC, and he'd worked with him. So yeah, I mean that was a risk that has backfired spectacularly, and and the book stops with one man. So listen, I, I think I think if he didn't, if he wasn't the great former player, and he didn't have the coaching track record that he has, which is still incredible across both college and the NFL. Certainly, pride of Michigan. I think he's already gone, but I think he he certainly gets to play out the rest of this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's given another season because they're recruiting well and they've got a lot of younger players now. But for me, I I think it's purely an emotional decision because in terms of in terms simply of record, it it would be it would be close to the end after what happened on Saturday. If you thought it was bad at Michigan, how bad is it for Tennessee? A 34-3 defeat to Florida. I mean... And, and, that's, and that's a high watermark of the season, yeah. pretty much. I mean, that's, that's how bad it is at Tennessee. I mean, disastrous. And, and, I mean, the thing with Pruitt is, you know, at least with Harbour, you can point to a track record of, of success, as I say, in the NFL and, and, and in college football with, with San Diego State and, San, and Stanford. Jeremy Pruitt, there, there is none of that. He was the third or fourth choice for the job uh, in in one of the most disastrous coaching hire processes I've ever witnessed. I mean, you've got to remember that Greg Schiano had that job. There'd be a better team now with Greg Schiano as head coach. Mm. Um, Mike Leach wanted the job and they decided not to give him it. They would be a million percent better team now with Mike Leach as head coach. Well, they decided not. I mean, their main booster decided not to give the job to Dan Mullen because he didn't think he'd won enough jobs. Yeah, exactly. Not won enough games even, sorry. And, and Mullen, that's a proven guy who had done a great job over a number of years at Mississippi State. And, and look at Mississippi State now. They're not doing well since Dan Mullen left. They yeah. became a perennial kind of double-digit win team under Mullen as well. Um, 
it's disastrous for Tennessee. I mean, if I had to pick the ultimate sleeping giant in terms of being utterly dreadful, Tennessee is number one on that list. Yeah. I mean, that is a great, great job, job for, for, you know, um, your man at Iowa State, State or, or maybe, you know, Matt Campbell or, or maybe any of these guys, you know, even somebody like David Shaw, who I, still, who I, I do ultimately think is is got to be close to reaching the end of the road of what he can do at Stanford. You know, Tennessee's a great job, and I would be surprised if Pruitt lasted the remainder of this season because he also he doesn't ingratiate himself. He's got an outrageous level of arrogance for a man who who has basically achieved nothing as a as a head coach, and it's something about the whole thing just doesn't fit. Just tell us how you really feel. Well, what do you think? I mean, <laughs> I, it kind of rubs you up the wrong way, though, doesn't it? No, it's he like, totally doesn't. I'm with, I'm with you 100%. You know, but I, I, I think the whole thing is a complete mess. You know, Philip Fulmer being there. You know, uh, I, I saw that Pete Thamel of Yahoo wrote a great piece at the weekend where he said, you know, something along the lines of former's career as a kind of essentially has been based on the fact that he's been a relentless backstabber you know he took the coach, coaching job from Johnny Majors back in the 90s when Majors was recovering from a heart attack you know former essentially then tried to undercut Lane Kiffin and Derek Dooley and Butch Jones and then was behind the coup that unseated athletic director John Curry last year so, it, so ultimately his reputation has revolved around this kind of I don't know persistently sort of operating to maximise the full glory of the Phil Fulmer era where they won the national championship with you know with that great team and uh, through the Peyton Manning years as well but then you know won it with T. Martin a quarterback and you know I just think I just don't think that that school is ever going to go anywhere whilst the shadow of former still hangs over it like you say i think it's one of the best jobs in the nation you know rocky top there's nothing better than 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 that stadium than knoxville the support is incredible that you know the just where the stadium is right by the water you know where they got the checkerboard end zones i mean that place is absolute hundred thousand people is absolutely rocking you know rocking they're in the heart of the south they can you know, recruit and out recruit anybody, but it's going to take an awful lot for it to for it to turn around. And you know, you mentioned Greg Schiano, you know, you mentioned Mike Leach, I mentioned Dan Mullen, Mel Tucker, obviously, who's now started pretty well at Colorado. Yeah, was another I mean, guy that they, you know, and ultimately they hired a coach that Mississippi State passed on. And, and I think it's because Phil Fulmer is essentially just trapped in this sort of perpetually moving 1990s college football sphere. Yeah, vision, exactly, exactly. And I just, you know, I, I don't think... But much like at Florida State, much like at Michigan, if you're going to fire Jeremy Pruitt and his staff, that's going to cost upwards of $15, $20 million. And I just yeah. don't see that that's going to happen. I just don't see. Because, you I, know... I, I just think with the first two losses, though, Oh. You know, you, you've you've lost to a team who aren't a huge amount better than the London Blitz, and then uh, then lost to to BYU as well, who admittedly are having a decent start of the season, but it was at home. I mean, I mean, they're going to start one. They're going to start one and six, and you you look down that schedule, and really, November the second against UAB is the first time they've even got a chance to win a game. So, you know, it is. It is a disaster. From and it's his second season as well. Yeah, exactly. Know. Exactly. That's the thing. And it's not like the Chip Keller UCLA scenario where 
one again, you've got a coach with a proven track, track record, record, but two, I mean, he didn't inherit a complete mess. Tennessee, there's always yeah. good players in the building, and and UCLA had had some great recruiting classes before then, but most of those guys were out of the building because they were recruiting the wrong type of guys. Like Tennessee, they've actually recruited quite well. I think they did well last year in recruiting, mm. but... Yeah, I mean, we're not seeing any evidence of that on no, the field. No, absolutely not. From one team who is struggling to another that is making a big move, uh, Cal, uh, behind Justin Wilcox, they were number 23 last week. They jumped up in the AP poll to number 15. Um, they beat in Washington. They held off Old Miss, both teams on the road. Wilcox is doing an outstanding job, isn't he? It's been a great start for him at Cal. Yeah, I mean, just one of those stories that you never saw coming. I mean, when they beat Washington, I just thought, wow, that's one of the big upsets. But actually, as the as the season goes on, we're seeing we're seeing that it isn't. I mean, this is. I actually think you know the the Pac-12 is getting a lot of a lot of stick generally, but I actually think there's some good stories in that in that conference this year. Um, my fear is that it's a little bit like the Big Ten where. You know, the SEC is very top-heavy. The ACC is disgracefully top-heavy this mm. year because there is literally only Clemson and probably has been for a couple of years now. I feel like the situation here is that there's actually a few good teams who are all just going to take some chunks out of each other. Mm. feels to me like the Pac-12 is very much like the whack. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of lost its credibility a little bit and it's yeah. it's just become very pass-happy. But, but, and... but do, 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 you think it's, do you not think it's better? It, it's... You know, if you take Clemson out of the ACC at the moment, I mean, it's just disastrous. Terrible conference. Terrible conference. I mean, I, I feel like that, that that gets ignored because of the sheer quality of Clemson, and that's understandable. They're the best team in the country, but you know, the rest of it is a disgrace. I mean, Miami in the Awful. middle of an, another big rebuild that's Awful. seemingly never ending. I mean, the, the disappointing thing for the Pac-12 was Utah's defeat to USC, yeah. which we haven't talked about on on, on uh, Friday night. But, you know, a, a tremendous coaching, you know, we've got to give it to him. Tremendous coaching performance by Clay Helton. Somebody who wrote about in the magazine that he was going to be on the hot spot with his first six games. And, uh, and USC, obviously out of the national conversation and the playoff picture because they lost at BYU, but they turned over number 10 Utah with their third string quarterback. And, you know, Kudos to Clay Helton because he's done an outstanding job of, of kind of not necessarily writing the ship, but certainly keeping the ship afloat and, you know, chucking water out to the point where they're now sailing. And, you know, Matt Fink, three touchdowns to come in for, for, for the Trojans to, to knock out the number 10 team in the nation, a team that I thought could certainly have the sort of difference makers on defense you look at um, you look at the big uh, defensive tackle that we wrote about in the yeah. magazine you look about uh, you look at Zach Moss um, I think they've got the best day line in the yeah country, absolutely I mean and, and that's that's an incredible thing to say about about a team like Utah yeah I mean I, I was really shocked at that one I mean the USC situation is fascinating now because you know Lynn Swan is gone yeah so the guy who employed Helton's no longer in the building that's never a good sign for a head coach and, and the, them leaving that seat vacant is a worse sign because, you know, if they're going to go and get Urban Meyer, which ultimately everybody thinks will happen, he'll want to choose the 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 AD as well, won't he? He'll want to move yeah, on to the process. So them leaving that seat open is a worry. But then 
how do you criticise anything they've actually done this year? I mean, we said before the season that we could see USC starting one and two, one and three, such was the yeah. the difficulty, the, the schedule. The irony is the game they've lost is probably the one I'm most expecting them to win, mm. which is climbed a classic USC. But, you know, they've had three different quarterbacks, all of whom, in the time I've seen them play, have looked really good. I think that's the impressive part. You know, it's not like they've just painted over things with these quarterbacks. They've all looked good. JT Daniels looked good in that first game, a game where we thought that, that they might be on the wrong end of an upset. And then, you know, the three of them, they've all played well. I mean, I, I, I struggle with the health question because I ultimately feel like unless the, the finish in the top 10, he probably gets fired. But he's actually doing the coaching job of, of his life certainly in the post-Sam Darnold era so far. And we, we talked both in the magazine and in the pre-season preview, didn't we, about um, about what would happen schedule-wise. We looked at it and we were like, wow, that's just a, you know, how can you ever survive this schedule? And it looks incredibly tough and blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden now, at three and one, they face a very disappointing Washington team this weekend. Then... Notre Dame, they, they probably should lose to. But then winnable games against Arizona, Colorado, Oregon, who don't look anything special, and Arizona State. I mean, they could be, what, three, four, five? I mean, they could be eight and two. You know, heading... They are better. I mean, could, are we ruling out the beaten Notre Dame? No, I no. certainly wouldn't. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I, I actually think the... I, I mean, Arizona State is a tough game in there. I was disappointed they lost to Colorado because they, Herm Edwards is doing a really good job there under the radar. He's got a true freshman at quarterback. His defense has been good from, from day one. I mean, I was stunned to see the amount of points Colorado put up against them. But again, it evidences the, the idea that I'm talking about. about these teams are kind of just taking chunks out of each other. You know, one's beating one one week, the other's beating the other the next. Yeah. No, it's, um, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. And, you know, hats off to, to, to Clay Helton. But ultimately, that's, don't see any of these teams in the, in the playoff again, do we? No. I mean, that's... that's is there any of them now with even a chance? Potentially Oregon still, but... No, and it just feels like the same... It feels like the same guys, the same teams over and over and over again, doesn't it? It's, um, you know, I, I can't see any other... You know, you can't you can't look past Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then the SEC teams. You know, the six teams really in the row. Wisconsin maybe, Wisconsin maybe, but you know, the but Wisconsin are always going to lose. You know, Wisconsin are guaranteed to lose a, a stupid game in the season. Wisconsin are what Wisconsin are, and I, I I always think Wisconsin are brilliantly coached. But because of where they are, they can't recruit well enough and it just catches up with them at the end of the season. Yeah. I feel like that happens every year. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Somebody else got caught up with uh, on Saturday and that was UCF. Uh, perennial, um, how do I phrase this without sounding rude to fans of University of Central Florida? Perennial uh, complainers about not being in the, the playoff. Um, with some justification, certainly two years ago, in the way that they um, destroyed LSU in the uh, destroyed Auburn in their um, was it Auburn or LSU? It was Auburn. Sorry, yeah. the way they destroyed Auburn in the in the bowl game. Um, but your guy Kenny Pickett caught 
a winning touchdown uh, with 59 seconds to go on essentially a, a kind of a, a Philly special um, for Pittsburgh to claim a huge win against uh, against UCF. What um, That was unexpected as well, wasn't it? And what, what is it about Pickett that you see and that you like? I mean, he's just, he's just a gamer, isn't he? I mean, you know, I, I, was at the, I was at the Penn State game and I didn't know a huge amount about him. I, I knew he was the starting quarterback. That was pretty much it. And um, he was great in that game. I mean, they couldn't run the ball a lick on, on Penn State's defensive line and he just kept dropping back. And actually, in terms of... He's not going to be an NFL quarterback, but if you were translating one skill set, he had an exceptional feel for the rush that I've rare to see in college quarterbacks. Like he just got the ball out at the right time every time, and they should have been. I mean, they should have levelled against Penn State right at the end. But Pat Narduzzi, who is just a classic old school idiot head coach <laughs> in his decision making he is isn't he I mean the Philly special was a little bit of a redemption but you know they, they probably should have called that at fourth and one on the one yard line instead of attempting to kick a field goal that Karma obviously meant the missed and the touchdown would have I, think, do, I can't remember whether it would have put them ahead or I think it would have levelled the game so they, Pitt had that Great performance on the road in a very amazing atmosphere. I advise anybody who gets the chance to go to Penn State. Unbelievable college town in the middle of literally nowhere in in Pennsylvania, like right around Amish countries all around. Yeah. It. It's a crazy place. Um, and yeah, just me and me and Liam Blackburn, who I was with, we kind of fell in love with with Kenny Pickett. And then the next week, watch as he as he leads a come from behind win against. Uh, against um, UCF and and does it by catching the final touchdown pass. Just a, a cool a cool ten days in the life of of Kenny Pickett and, and the lives of, of Pitt and you know as I say a bit of a redemption for Pat Narduzzi. I'm getting a little bit bored of people running Philly special. <laughs> that's the only thing I would say. Like and that's not the bit of Patriots fan in me. I just feel like I want to see another play on the goal line that's something different. I mean. I'm at the point now as well where I'm actively critical of defences for falling for it because I watch whenever I see a quarterback now go to the right tackle shouting, I just assume that they're going to run Philly special. And if I was a defensive player, I would do the same thing. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's one. Of, it, it's obviously a trick play, but it's one of those that, in reality, now that you've seen it so many times, you should be able to see that it might be coming because it's only going to be coming in certain circumstances, which is on the goal line so if a quarterback makes the move to run behind the right tackle and start shouting as if he's calling a different player or changing the play then I would as a defensive player expect you or as a, as a coach expect my defensive players to be ready for that which um, which team did you play defence for and who were you defensive coordinator for well, well, <laughs> I, I, I once uh, I once went to a train, training camp with the Gateshead Senators and was was tapped to play left defensive end there so I'd have been right in the position to, to make that play but I ended up moving to London to do a journalism course literally no chance you'd have made the play literally no chance listen it's helmet stickers time something we've uh, we've introduced uh, I'll let you go first uh, unless you want me to go first and you want time to think about yours uh, you can go first and I'm going to think about mine so I'm going for Tulane and their head coach Willie Fritz uh, essentially a stunning turnaround for, for Tulane they 
beat Houston 38-31 on Thursday night. Uh, and Fritz apparently called a staff meeting at Bruno's, a local bar, um, for his coaches, texted them to say that both attendance and consumption of at least one alcoholic beverage, beverage was mandatory. But uh, essentially the play of the game was a fake kneel play um, that that got the final drive going. I don't know if you saw it, but they looked like they were, they looked like they were going to take a knee um, and all the all the dif- essentially take a knee and go to overtime. And essentially, everybody kind of gathered around in sort of protect formation. And the quarterback took the snap and uh, very very sleight of hand handed it off to what would have been the punt protector man who just stood there for sort of two or three seconds whilst the running back and the quarterback rolled round, rolled out to their right, um, almost as if they were going to, one was going to keep it and then pitch it, the quarterback was going to keep it and or pitch it to the running back. So the entire defense ran towards the quarterback to shut him down whilst the, the, the punt protector uh, all of a sudden broke cover and all the offensive linemen went the other way and the punt protector picked up 18 yards, put them into range with about 40 seconds to go and they, they, they scored the winning touchdown. It is a beautiful, beautiful play. It's absolutely, um, it's one of those things that must have been worked on over, much like Philly Special, I suppose, worked on over and over again. They were down 28-7 in this game and they came back uh, to win and are now 3-1. and one. So kudos to Willie Fritz. There's your helmet sticker, Matthew. That's, that's a brilliant one. I'm going to give one to Anthony Gordon because if you throw nine touchdown passes... You should win the game, <laughs> and if you're on the if you're on the losing end, then you know you've got to have you've got to have some positives. So the positive for him is going to be the gridiron helmet sticker that he doesn't know exists, but hopefully, subliminally, he will realise that people in the UK you've warmed our heart, Anthony, and you get a helmet sticker for it. It'll, it'll be some comfort to him, I'm sure. I'm sure. Thank you for listening. Uh, we shall be back next week as always uh, with more uh, on another big weekend of college football and we will see whether or not Clemson and Alabama can continue their cupcake run to the national championship uh, game uh, and whether or not um, whether or not Clay Helton will continue his rise his rebirth if they will down uh, the Washington Huskies any games that you're looking out for specifically this weekend Matt anything that catches your fancy I think that USC Washington one's an interesting one for me because you know, it, it's not completely impossible for a one-loss team in that conference to get to the to get to the playoffs. So, for those for those, I think that's what's interesting about that whole the whole conference now is for for those teams, we're kind of in a position where it's it's completely make or break every week for them. Um, I mean, I guess before the season, I would have been interested in Ohio State, Nebraska. I mean, Nebraska are three and one. Yeah, lost a, an absolute thriller. If if anybody has got ESPN player, uh, go back to week two, I think, or week three, and watch Nebraska Colorado because it might have been one of the best college games I've, yeah. I've ever seen. Um, but Ohio State just looked too good. I mean, I just don't see anybody hanging with them at the moment. Justin Fields and. And Ryan, Ryan Dave got, got that, that, got that, that ticking. Um, I think UNC Clemson will be a game. game. Yeah, I, th- I think North Carolina Clemson will be an interesting game. It'll be an interesting test um, because the just the the whole factor, the whole story um, around that UNC. You know, I know that they you know they've lost a couple of games now, but just the the story will be fascinating. I think, and you know, there's something just a bit. They felt like something. This is going to sound cheesy, but they felt like something a little bit magical earlier on in the season, 
um, around yeah. UNC, UNC and whether or not they can just bring that to the party um, against Clemson remains to be seen. I doubt it very much, but you just don't know. It could be, it could be an interesting one. Another interesting uh, Pac-12 game is, is Arizona State mm, Cal because you've got definitely. Arizona State who's one loss is a three-pointer to Colorado last week but have got I mean great wins they've had a tough tough early schedule so three and one's a, a good start for them Cal you know I mean let's be honest if they went undefeated then of course they'd have a chance of getting in the playoffs so they're the one team left in that conference who have undefeated on their resume but this is one of the many games that they would need to win to get to that point and I'm aware that is not going to happen but you know it's still alive so can the dream continue this week I think that's a Friday night game as it well. is so yeah it's good to, to sneak one in on a, on a Friday night as well it is thanks for listening uh, Matt and I will be back next week and we shall see you then goodbye cheers buddy cheers mate uh, I'll let you know what we